0: Man, I love mornings like this. Um, There's something about like cold air that just makes you feel alive. I don't know if you feel the same way. Feel free to disagree. I mean, I realize it's Houston, but I, you know, I always tell people, enjoy it, it's gonna be the last one for a long time. And then I always seem to be wrong, like for the last couple of months, we just get another one. I, uh, I love being wrong about things that are bad, like the end of spring, so that's fine. We've been, uh, we've been working through Romans over the last few months and um, working through themes of sin versus salvation, death versus life, bondage versus freedom. And today in Romans 7, we zero, we zero in on, on the law. What is it to be free from the law? What is it that makes someone truly free? You know Hollywood knows actually. I think it um, all these action adventure movies similar theme. You've got the hero that initially resists their call, and then um, you know through some change of heart they they embrace a a cause that's greater than themselves, and they after that point endure their sacrifice by their own choice by their own free will, if you will, and. but of course, you know, the, uh, the ultimate picture of this theme, the, the movie that defines the very height of this sacrificial freedom is, of course, yes! Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I did not plant that. I did not plant that, but it is true. It is Braveheart. It is Braveheart. William Wallace says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And of course, they may take away our lives, but they'll never take away our freedom. In fact, I believe we have that. No, I didn't ask, I didn't actually ask for that. But I'm asking now if you could, by the end, no. Maybe No, let's not, let's not do that. What is it about William Wallace embracing the immediate prospect of his own death that makes him truly free? I think Mel Gibson might know. He's got like a certain affinity for these kinds of movies. And what it is whether Hollywood knows it or not, all they're really doing is retelling the greatest story ever told about the only kind of freedom that ever was, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That through faith, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for your sins against God, and his resurrection brought you into new life, standing blameless before God, free from sin and death, doing the will of God, not because, not because you have to, but because his will has been made your own. How does that happen? Paul will show us. He's been demonstrating throughout Romans how Christ releases us from the bondage of sin and buys our freedom in Christ. And now we'll focus in on our freedom from the law. And when we say the law, we're talking specifically about the 600-some-odd commandments given through Moses in the first five books of the Bible. But also in a broader sense, it's everything that God does and says from Genesis to Deuteronomy, revealing his character and setting aside the people of Israel as his, his chosen people for his purpose. A little spoiler alert, the purpose of God is to redeem us from a rebellion against him and reconcile us to himself. Specifically today, we'll see Paul demonstrate how death buys freedom using marriage as an example. And this is true freedom. This is where we're going today. Die to your own sin your own selfish desires, and through Christ be bound to the will of God, driven by his love. That is true freedom. Let's pray now together, and then we'll we'll read the word of God. Holy Spirit, would you come to us now and open our hearts that we might behold wonderful things out of your word, and even out of your law, Lord. Lord, would you make it so that we can hear from you today and be changed? God, I can't do that. There's nobody here that can do that, only you, Lord. We need you, and we trust you. Be with us now, and be with me. Amen. Let's read together, Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage accordingly. She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's the Word of God. Do you not know? I like this opener very much because it helps to tie us back to everything that Paul's been doing throughout chapter 6. Starting in six three. do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then he expounds on that for a while. And then in 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. Paul's building his case, and he's dropping these little like literary breadcrumbs for us to follow him throughout. Do you not know that the law is binding on a person only so long as he lives? For I am speaking to those who know the law. Now, it's tempting here knowing that, if you're remembering back to past sermons, that there's two factions in the Roman church. There's the, the Jewish Christians who were Jews prior and then came to believe in Christ as the Messiah who still remained faithful to the, the law as they knew it, given by Moses. So that's that one group. And they got expelled by, under persecution under Claudius, I believe it was, a Roman emperor. And when they came back a few years later, the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, ran the show in the church, and they maybe weren't quite as adherent to the law, and so there's tension there. So you would think maybe he's speaking just to the Jewish Christians, for I am speaking to those who know the law. But in fact, um, the cultural context is that both groups would have at least a working understanding of the law and known quite a bit about it, and Paul is speaking to them both as a unified group. Brothers, that's at least part of why he's writing to Rome, is to kind of heal this rift. Do you not know that the law is binding on a person only so long as he lives? This ties us back all the way almost to the beginning of Romans to chapter three, verse 21. He's addressing the statement he made. I got to preach on this. The first time I ever preached was on this verse. This is only the second time. doubles it. But the verse is in 321, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's a total mic drop, right? Because he just says it and, and, then, he, and, then, and then he's on to the gospel. And if you're a Jew, it's like, Every, your entire identity just got ripped out. Because not only is this, has the law defined you for your entire life and your entire nation as God's people set aside for his purpose, but all of your ancestors going back 2,000 years have been defined by this law. righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. I just hear them like gasping (gasps) and holding their breath for six chapters or so until now that the law is binding on a person only so long as he lives. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's hear more about this. They can finally breathe, maybe. Let's see where he goes with it. By the way, if you're the Gentile, this is good news. And if you're not of Jewish descent, I don't don't think anyone here is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is good news for us because we have a way to be identified by God. We'll continue. In Romans 2 and 3, 7, 2, and 3, Paul's going to give us an example. Here it is. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries, she is not an adulteress. Right off the bat, it's tempting to read this and draw some conclusions about divorce but you can't at least not you can not solely from this passage cuz that's not it's not what it's about it doesn't cover all like the scenarios and uh, you know it's it's not about divorce it's it's about the example of being free from the law that being said for a definitive statement on divorce go to Matthew 19 i'm not going to read it cuz it's not the point it's a whole another sermon but if you read it, you'll find one of those just hard truths that Jesus delivers, which is so hard to hear. But we know it. We know in the, it's for our good. You'll see that. You'll see that divorce is always against God's design for marriage. But regardless, He meets us wherever we are, in grace. And so whether you've been wounded by violence or unfaithfulness in marriage, or conversely, if if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit that you have brought violence or unfaithfulness into your marriage, run to Jesus, cry out to him, be washed by his blood, and stand before God's throne of grace, holy, upright, and free. How can you be free, truly free under the burden of this marriage covenant? In our example, one marriage, there's there's two scenarios given. In one scenario, you have a marriage where the bond is broken, and you have adultery. And the other scenario? You have perfect freedom. What's the difference between those two scenarios? What's the only thing that's changed? It's death. That's the only thing that changes bondage into freedom in this scenario. And that's the point. In Romans 7.4, Paul's going to tell us, likewise, my brothers, some translations read, and this is the point, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The difference is death. You have died through the law, through the body of Christ, so that you might bear fruit for God. Man, if you feel like you don't know the purpose for your life, Bearing fruit for God, put that at the top of the list. What a purpose, to bear fruit for God. This word, um, this word they use for death, you have died to the law, it's it's a fun word, it's There's a couple different words for death in the original language, and uh, this one in particular is not a natural death. It's not like you got old and died. It's you were put to death, like murder, a violence against you, like against your will, almost. Like, Like you had no choice in the matter. You were put to death through the body of Christ. And you're like, wait, well, what about free will, right? And, yeah, you had a choice whether you were going to come and see Jesus or not when he he called you, come and see me. You had a choice. But once you saw, once you saw and you said, this is the Son of God, the choice kind of evaporates because where else would you go? And so in that same way, you have been put to death through the body of Christ. It was done to you. It was not something that you did. It was what Christ did for you. Death release, releases you from bondage to the law and frees you for a new relationship, one that is infinitely more productive than the one you had before. We see that in the verse Heath read, uh, I believe it was last week, in fact, from John 12. Probably up on the board. John 12 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I love the agriculture example of bearing fruit. It's all throughout scripture. And you know you can imagine how impactful it was at that time, being a very agrarian society. But it, it, still, it still hits home today. Apparently, we still have to eat. And, and I just get this, this image of... You know, you've got this seed, and it's hard to let it go because you lose control over it. You plant it into the ground, and it dies. And so it's easy to cling to it. Like, this is mine. You know, I don't want to let it go. And um, I've got this seed. It's, it's my life. I You know, I deserve it, and it's mine. And God's like, okay, but I've got a fruit tree and it's got hundreds of fruit, and in that fruit are thousands of seeds. So make your choice. And by the way, those thousands of seeds become thousands of trees with millions of fruit and billions of seeds, and so on. God's way is better, but it's still hard, right? I mean, like, you don't know that that seed is going to come a tree? It's out of your control. It's in the ground. I've got it now. Like, isn't that better than nothing? Don't cling to the seed. Bury it. There's something about that death that makes you truly free when you weren't free before. Don't cling to the seed. Don't cling to your life as something that you're supposed to be separate from God. Plant it in the ground and bury it so that you might bear fruit for God. What a purpose. The next verse, John uh, 12, 25, says, Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does loving your own life look like? Romans 7, 5 will show. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. This word flesh in this context means your old sinful nature where you believe yourself to be apart from God. And the law, the whole purpose of the law is to like stir up that sinful desire so that it can be destroyed. The law is not evil. Your sin is evil. That's the purpose of the law. It exposes your sin so that you would run to Jesus, so that you'd have no other choice. What does our sinful nature look like? I have a two-year-old son, and he started the walk just before he was one, and since that time, we've been teaching him not to touch light sockets. (laughs) Right? And it's... You know, this, you know how this goes, right? Don't touch that light socket. You mean this light socket? Yeah, that's it, don't touch it. Okay? I'm gonna touch it. And like, so like you close in, you're both like six inches from the, like, don't touch. And he's like, tracing his finger around the outside edge pretty much drooling at this point cuz like oh my gosh like dad cares so much about this it's got to be so good <laughs> and there's an outlet cover it's, he's, he's not going to die but not all sockets have light have covers on them so you still have to learn and he just wants it so bad and he's just he's going to touch it and so i have to take a different a different tact and look part of that is he's just he's just happy we can communicate and he can get a rise out of me but there, there's, there's also sin there. He, he wants to be free from my law over him, and he desires that freedom in the worst way. And what he desires really is the freedom to destroy himself. And he doesn't know it, but I do. And so I take a different, I go a different road. I say, Everett, this light socket will destroy you. And it works. (laughs) I say, danger, ouch, words he knows well. Because he has a healthy fear of pain. (laughs) And he straightens up. Every time he sees a socket now, ouch. I'm like, that's right. (laughs) Ouch. He's ruled by fear, fear of pain. But is he truly free? Not yet. Not yet. Because all that needs to happen is for him to ask himself does dad really know what he's talking about? Did he actually say that the light socket will destroy me? Where have you heard that before? Hold that thought. Will I find where I am? Have you ever had, did you grow up with an overbearing parent who, like, sought to correct you, or a mentor, or a boss? <laughs> yeah. That, you know, like, it just felt like that, like they're just stifling your freedom. But then later on, you get some distance, mature, you know, maybe some maturity from that situation, and you realize, you know, they, they were really just doing those things because they loved me, and they wanted the best for me, and they didn't want me to destroy myself. And I hope to have that same kind of love towards my child, towards my employees. In that moment, you are truly free from their law. Not because you grabbed it out of some kind of rebellion, but because you've like, understood the heart behind what they were doing, and you've embraced it as your own. That's what freedom really looks like freedom from their law, and in that way you will bear fruit for them as an employee, as a child, in a way that you never could have before. because you You'll still respect them. You'll still do the things that they want you to do, but you'll do it because you want to, because you understand the heart, and you're driven by it, rather than being driven by their law, their reign over you. First John... Chapter 4, 18, 19 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us, because Jesus first loved us. Under the love of Christ, you are not ruled by a sinful desire to be free, and you are not ruled by fear. Under the love of Christ, you are truly free. Similarly to Everett, marriages can degrade until you desire freedom at any price. Conversely, you can also remain together purely from fear, fear of loss, fear of pain. And what does that look like? You're stifling me. We're both miserable. Let's just acknowledge this marriage is dead and be free from each other. You're stifling me, but we can't be divorced because, I mean, what would the church think, right? And how would we afford to live? We'd probably lose the house. And what about the kids? Okay, you sold me on the kids. We'll stay together for them, and we'll just see how it goes. and yeah maybe you do stay together but if you're ruled by like fear and look there's there's good things in what i just said i mean sure like you sh- the sh- you should allow the church to hold you accountable to sin you should pay your debts you should provide like a safe home and a loving home for your children but if you are ruled by those things like a burden that's over you that like It it can become a prison, and you're not truly free. Not truly free. It becomes a prison. It can become a prison. And consider how vulnerable you are ruled by fear in that scenario. Because an attractive alternative can come along. And you'll see it and you're like, man, I didn't know I was dead before, but I do now because there's life and there's freedom and I deserve that because I've been doing everything right for years and nothing, nothing has made me free. And you can desire freedom in the worst way. And now you've got to fight on your hands because a voice will come to you in your head, but it won't be, it'll sound a lot like yourself, but it won't be. And it'll say something like, did God actually say not to eat of any fruit of the tree in the garden? You will not surely die. But God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And that'll be so good for me. And I added the last part, but the rest of it, to be clear, was a quote from Satan in Genesis 3. And because of it's a quote from Satan, it is not true. I had a Sunday school teacher tell me once that Satan will never come to you with horns and a pitchfork. It would be way too easy. You would immediately know he was Satan, and you would just not do what he tells you but he will always come to you as your own thoughts. Because he has no power of his own. He's got to make you believe that you're acting in your own best interests. And beyond that, if he can make you believe that you're acting according to the will of God, that's his ultimate purpose. Surely God would want you to be free, right? We can desire freedom in the worst way. I love Genesis chapter 3. I've used it in every sermon I've ever preached. Both of them. I love it because it describes perfect, with perfect accuracy how sin works in our hearts. And it's completely timeless. It's true for every single person who ever lived, and it's equally true today as it was then. It's the story of sin, how, how sin works in our hearts, but it's also the story of a marriage. You know, it's, it's a story how, how sin can, can work its way in and tear a marriage apart because we desire freedom in the worst way. We must cling to the word of God, the unchanging word of God, not trusting to what seems to be right we must die to selfishness, our own selfishness and sin, so that our desires would be changed into the desires of God, that our marriage might bear fruit for him. My wife, Lori, and I, we're, we just started just recently marriage counseling for the, for the first time. And it's, you know, not from a place of crisis in case you're wondering, but, you know, you can just you can get busy, you can have a baby, you can have another one on the way, you could both be working and, uh, you know, doing stuff in the church, and at some point you realize that you forgot how to love each other in the way that the other person would want to be loved, and... You know, it's like, it's like you're not in a crisis right now, but you can kind of look ahead and you can see, if we go around this corner and then down that hill, that's where the wheels fall off. And if you can identify with that, reach out. Reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ and your small groups in the church. Not so much for advice, but so that, so that we can help each other Point back to the Word of God and to Jesus, and so that, and we can pray for each other and pray with each other. And if you need advice, let me tell you, the pros know what they're talking about. Like that, we've only had one session. I can't wait to go back. It's actually the same guy that Heath and Amber go to, and he's awesome. And if if you would like, if you want counseling in your marriage, but have resisted because it is crazy expensive, like reach out as well. Like we would love to walk through that with you. We're going to find a way to make that happen. Like, just don't hold it back. Because the thing is, your marriage isn't just about you. And it's not even just about your children, your family. It is a living picture of the gospel. That was why it was made. And so there's, it's just so important for us to support each other in this. So that your marriage can bear fruit for God. What a purpose. All right, let's get back to the passage. We'll start in 7.5 and again to get some runway until the end. For while we are living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, this ties us back all the way back to chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But Now. In 7.6, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What is the new way of the Spirit? Jump back to 3.22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God You are driven by the love of Christ, your freedom in him, your salvation in him. The written code, the law that was literally written down in words, the law which is outside of you projecting its will upon you, the law that could not save you, but instead was made to draw you out of your sin to expose it so that you would run to Jesus and be saved by his blood poured out for you. The death of Jesus was your death. This is the death which makes you truly free. Embrace that death so that you are free to love another, so that you are free to love Jesus. So what does it all mean? I'll give you a pretty specific application. And, you know, if the Holy Spirit's led you another way, like, that's totally fine. There's a lot of ways you could go with it. Let's just agree not to stifle what the Holy Spirit has done. But I'm going to give you one specific application. Who is God calling you to love from a place of total freedom? Who is that person? It could be your spouse. It could be a co-worker, roommate, even a boss, parent? What if you embraced the death of, your, of Christ as your own death and were completely owned by Jesus? What freedom would that create to love this person like Jesus loves them, maybe even for the first time, with perfect patience, perfect sacrifice, perfect love, the only kind of love that there actually is, what markers would identify that relationship now in this new context driven by the love of Christ? And then don't just set out to do those things because you'll never achieve it, at least not for long. But be driven by the love of Christ. First, seek Jesus and then be driven to do his will. His will. Jesus said that I have food you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus was fed by the work of the gospel. That's amazing to me. You too can be fed by that same work, desiring what Christ desires. I'll leave you with this story. This actually happened to me last Monday. I was running, which I do for fun, and uh, preparing for a 5K that we had yesterday. So I'm running pretty fast, because the 5K is a fast race. And there's this point in running hard, regardless of how fast or slow you are. If you're running hard, you'll get to a place where you begin to ask yourself if this is really what you want to be doing. And at that point, you can either say, okay, I'm either gonna stop or I'm gonna continue. But if I'm gonna continue, is it gonna be because I have to or because I want to? And I'm already thinking about these themes of bondage versus freedom to pre- prepare for this. So like, what is it to be truly free in running? I'm tearing up the last hill. I'm cresting right over the top and there's a little boy in front of me, like four or five years old at the most, and he's on a Razor scooter, and he just starts tearing down this hill. Wind in his hair, loving. I mean, you know the feeling, right? It's No better feeling in childhood. He's like 15 feet in front of me, and we're going about the same speed. He's even pulling away from me a little bit. He's just loving it, and I am, like, sweating. And you know, you get that... You ever got that feeling, that surreal feeling, like there's something else going on in this situation, but you can't quite put your finger on it? And maybe it was the heat, and maybe it was the running, but I'm like, what is going on here? I get to the bottom of the hill, and the boy's father, watching his kid disappear into the distance with the sweaty dude barreling after him, (laughs) whistles to him like a dog. And right at the best part of his run, he slams to a stop and spins around. Right at the best part, and you're like, "Ooh, he whistled like a dog." But like as a dad, like I'm like, "Yeah, he whistled." <laughs> I'm teaching that to Everett, and I blow by him, and I'm like, something about it just struck me, and I'm like, "What was? What happened?" And I realize it was it was like it was a. The boy's face as as he spun around. And with only like, you know, the joyful obedience that only a small boy can have for his dad sometimes. He spins around and yells, Come in! And I realized that it's not a burden to be bound by the will of our father. And I'm like, I'm like was that boy even real? He was real, I'm pretty sure. We'll go with that. But I didn't touch him or anything, so you can't be sure, just saying. And look, it's not perfect. But in Christ, we are free to tear downhill in life, with wind in our hair. And we're free to slam on the brakes and spin around another way when our Father calls. In both situations, it's not a burden. It's not a burden to be ruled by the love of our Father. In that love, you are truly free. Bearing fruit for God. And that's freedom. Let's pray. God, Lord, you have made us, in your image, you have made us completely free. Lord, we confess that time and time again, we would return ourselves to bondage. Bondage to our own sin, our own selfish desire, and our own fear. But God, you have made a way. You have made a way for us to be truly free, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be ruled by the love that you have for us in Jesus. The perfect love which casts out fear. Lord, your death was our death. Help us to remember that, to embrace that death every day so that we might bear fruit for you, Lord. Let us have no other purpose, no other call. This is our desire, Lord. make your will be our own. We need you, Lord. We cannot do this alone. Only you. Only you can do this in us, Lord. We trust you. We love you. Amen.